Maniacs, welcome to the newest episode of the Needless Things Podcast, where we talk about toys, movies, music, and all manner of pop culture dorkery. I am your host, Dave, and I've got a lot of good stuff uh, that I've accomplished over the last week. I'm pretty proud of myself uh, for, for getting it together and getting some things done. I believe I alluded to a special episode uh, coming up on last week's episode, and... It happened. I, I did the interview. Well, it wasn't an interview. It was a conversation. And it's somebody that was an inspiration for me to start Needless Things as a website uh, about a decade ago. And I'm, I'm thrilled I got to talk to him. It's happening. It's coming up soon. And uh, if, if, if you don't know 16bit.com or Galactic Hunter or Figure of the Day, uh, there's a gentleman named Adam Paulus who has been writing about Star Wars toys online since I want to okay I believe 1995 but during our conversation which was I recorded several days ago uh so it's not that portion isn't completely fresh in my mind right now but I believe he corrected me to an earlier date uh than that so he's very much a huge influence in the online world of star wars toys and his sites are great 16bit.com is about all different kinds of pop culture stuff records and toys and whatever else figure of the day uh he reviews a different figure every day and then galactic hunter uh, is just all star wars toy news uh and some general toy news but it's it's focused on star wars uh and it's great he has a very uh his, his writing style has a brevity to it but he injects a lot of his personality into the things that he writes about and i I just really enjoy reading his stuff and way back in the day uh his figure of the day was inspiration for me to choose blogger for the original needless things which granted uh you know didn't turn out to be the best decision ever but it got me started and who knows if i'd chosen another format uh, it may not have been as easy for me to understand, and we may not be where we are right now. So, very excited that's going to be coming up in the next few weeks here. It's sort of a holiday special episode, even though it wasn't necessarily Christmas-focused. But, I mean, Star Wars is a holiday thing to me, or at least it has a special significance around the holidays, which we'll talk about a little bit during the episode. I just want to let you guys know I'm super excited. That happened. Another thing that happened is I talked to Jamie Jones, who you may know from Galactic Quest, a comic book shop local to the Atlanta area, uh, one that has all kinds of events. We've recorded things live there in the past. matter of fact, my conversation with Radio Cult a couple of years ago was recorded there, and Jamie was on that episode. Uh, but she is part of a new venture called Infinite Realities Comics, which is a store that's going to be opening up in Tucker on December 1st. And I sat down and had a conversation. It was over Skype because we're both super busy, and I figured the easiest thing to do would be to make a phone call. Uh, but we talked uh, to Jamie about what's going on with the store. That's going to be the first part of this episode. The second part of this episode is a celebration of Mickey Mouse for his 90th birthday. I had Sean, Dan Wilson, 
Derek from the DragonCon Horror Track and from DreadPunk.com, and our pal Ryan Cadaver, which is a Ryan and Derek combination that you're probably not used to. And I've said that like three times during the recording, and you'll probably hear it again before the end of this episode. But that's okay. Uh, We had a great conversation about one of the greatest animated characters of all time for his 90th birthday. And and it was something that I, I wasn't too positive would be perfect for needless things, but it turned out to be uh, one of my favorite things that we've ended up discussing. So first up, got a conversation with Jamie Jones about Infinite Realities comic, which, comics, which you can find on Facebook. Uh, and then after that, Mickey's 90th birthday. Uh, before we get to those, honestly, I don't think I've got a whole lot to cover. The holidays are coming up hard. I am prepared. You know, I've, I've I've said this many times. I tend to start Christmas shopping around like July. Uh, I'll start picking things up, keeping an eye out for things, stashing them away uh, for for Mrs. Troublemaker and Phantom Junior. And, and of course, for our now four dogs. I don't know if I've even mentioned this on the show. If you follow me on social media, uh, Phantom Troublemaker on Instagram is is probably the easiest and best one. But uh, and we've got a boxer. Uh, we've got a German Shepherd mix. We have a Corgrador, which is a Corgi lab mix. Uh, and now uh, we have a Boston Terrier Husky mix, who's just adorable. We've had her for a few months now. Uh, apparently, hus- we, we've had to do some research lately because apparently Huskies are notoriously difficult to housebreak. And uh, we are definitely experiencing that right now. She's. She's very, very smart uh, in other ways, but she will go outside and pee, come back inside, uh, hang out for a few minutes, and then pee inside. Uh, and we've had, we've had to do a little bit of research. We've learned that you can't housebreak huskies in the same way that you housebreak other dogs. And we, we are seeing, like, everything we re, re, uh, read research-wise, we're like, Oh yeah, that's what she does. That makes sense. So we're gonna have to, you know, the other three dogs. We we kind of trained in all the same ways and had no issues. This we're gonna have to take a little uh, a different approach with uh, Leela, the husky Boston Terrier mix, and and she's adorable, and you can see her on my Instagram. So that that's one thing that's going on, aside from the holidays coming up. I'm super excited about a couple of local things going on. Stone Mountain is doing their big holiday presentation. Uh, Six Flags, which I still have, uh, I, I got season passes for this year. I think I talked about that before. Six Flags has their holiday stuff going up. I think this weekend, uh, hopefully either next Monday or Tuesday, we'll get out there to check all that out. Uh, the weather here... Uh, well, you know what? There's no need to talk about the weather because our pal Ryan Cadaver decided to open up the episode with some small talk about, boy, it sure is cold outside and wet. Uh, so so you'll hear all about that in our conversation coming up here. Uh, sorry, Ryan. I, I, I had to mention that. Uh, anything else that's going on is all holiday related at this point. Uh, I don't have lights on the house yet because we still observe the day after Thanksgiving rule. Uh, as far as that goes, but uh, I'm I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. I got the new Monkey's Christmas album, and it's it's okay. It's not 
it's fun. It's great. It'll be good in rotation. I don't think I'll ever sit down and listen to the whole thing at once again, uh, but but I'll be happy to have those songs sprinkled throughout my playlist. Uh, I also have Shatner Claws. I've only had the opportunity to listen to a couple of tracks off of it, but if you enjoyed uh, the last Shatner album I bought, was was his last collaboration with Henry Rollins, who's one of my personal heroes. And it, if you enjoyed that one, has been, I think it was called, uh, then you will enjoy this one. It's basically the same thing except Christmas. And it has William Shatner and Henry Rollins performing Jingle Bells. There are two different versions. One of them is, is sort of a straightforward traditional version, and one of them is more of a punk rock version. And they're both excellent, and I'm very stoked to hear the rest of the album. I just I, I haven't been in the car. I, I mostly unless it's vinyl, uh, I, unless it's a record, uh, I don't tend to listen to music at home a whole heck of a lot. Uh, so this will be in the car. And then here, the reason I didn't get that album on vinyl is because I couldn't confirm anywhere online that it included the digital download. And for something like like the the Christmas music is going to be in the car more than anything else. So. Uh, buying Christmas music on vinyl when I don't know if it comes with the download is not practical for me. So there you go on that one. So th- there are two albums to keep an eye out for. The Monkees, uh, which which may grow on me a little bit more than it has. Uh, and then Shatner Claws, which I had to order. I could not find in a store. And, and I, I would, you know, I would, I would love to buy stuff from stores. I, I have been conscious of two things. One, of not buying anything from Walmart unless I absolutely have to. And two, buying things from actual stores when I can. And actually, recently, I went to a Barnes & Noble store because I I wanted to buy books. I talked about that Beastie Boys book. Uh, I wanted to buy that and a couple other books. And I wanted to get them from a store. I just did uh, for for whatever reason. And I'm glad I did because they were in great condition. They didn't get shipped in freaking bubble envelopes like Amazon's been doing lately so they weren't all banged up and the guy there I mean it he spent a good 20 minutes or so helping us out find these books because they were the the three books in the store that he did not know where they were like literally everything else he was like well this should be he had a lovely British accent that I'm not going to attempt to imitate here uh but he, he was super super nice and took time to help us out, and you don't get that online. And, you know, and yes, you type the thing in, you find it, and you stick it in your basket, and you buy it, but then it, it, the, once it goes to the warehouse, there's no telling what you're going to get. You know, sometimes you get a product in perfect condition. Sometimes you get something that's been banged up by the shipper, by the warehouse, by being packaged poorly, whatever. So if, if I have an option, a reasonable ability to buy something from a store i will do it uh but of course then you don't get the great smile.amazon.com which i've talked about before you can choose a charity and all of your amazon purchases will go uh will send something towards that charity uh so uh, that's all i got we've got a whole lot of episode to get to so i think it's time to go ahead and get to it uh first up I'm going to talk to Jamie Jones about Infinite Realities Comics. Enjoy. All right, Phantomaniacs, I've got a special treat for you right now. I am talking to Jamie Jones, who is actually returning to the Needless Things podcast because way long ago... Uh, you actually sat in with Radio Cult 
uh, for an episode. I did. And we had a fun time, and I'd been... It was one of those things where I was like, hey, we'll have you back on soon. And then I did, like, 40 more episodes, and just one thing happens, another thing happens, and contacts, whatever, I haven't been back. I don't even know that I've been back in the store since that interview. I don't think you had, but, I mean, that's that's life, right? Uh, yeah, it is life. And now, though, life uh, is crazy because I'm going to have to go to a different store. You are. You are. Um, yeah, you'll have to come to Infinite Realities in Tucker, Georgia. Now, where, where is it? I used to live down in the La Vista Road area. Where is it located exactly? We are directly across from Tucker High School, right near Main Street, downtown Tucker. Oh, very cool. That Man, that's a great location, and it's not, it's not dense with uh, comic shops. No, no. We're... we're um, there are a couple closer ones, but we feel like we can fill a we we can fulfill a niche for the customers that that isn't being met. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's it's it's good to have like that area is great because it's right around the perimeter. It's not downtown, but it's also not too far out. I I think it's a really good central location, which is why I was living there when I lived there. So, how did you know what? Before we get into how this came about, let's let's find out a little bit about you. Uh, how long have you been in the comics industry? Because you you've in the Atlanta scene in particular, uh, you're you're a fixture. Um, well, cumulatively, I worked for um, a store in Gwinnett for about eight years. Not all at once. I think it was like two four year breaks, and that gave me a lot of opportunities and I got to meet people and get to do exciting things. Like, um, I get to, I'm, I'm the director of comics programming for Momocon. So their comics track is there. They really want to have a good comic show and there's no reason Atlanta shouldn't have a good comic show. There's enough talent, um, that they brought me on to help with that. So like for 2019, we already have Rico Renzi. We have Robert Wilson, Tracy Yardley, Brendan Fletcher is confirmed. So, and and that's just a couple, just offhand. And that's fantastic because I, I love that Momocon has been evolving every year. Uh, it's it's a little younger, it's a little leaner, and it seems like it's a convention that's really comfortable with change every single year, adapting to what the the congoers want. And and that's that is very true. Uh, I also, though, I do get to be second uh, for comics programming with Dragon Con. Which is crazy, because that is a big, massive monolith of a convention, and yet still every year is evolving. It does. Uh, They're always trying new things. They always want to make sure that the fans get the best show possible. Well, I mean, and it's a fan show. Both of these shows are kind of unique that they are fan-run, which I think makes Atlanta a little special. Because we Uh, don't have a big like crazy touring read pop show don't get me wrong i love read pop shows but it's it's kind of nice that the shows in atlanta are put on by the people who love what they do well it's important to, to have a, a variety available because you have you know your big corporate sponsored cons are are great and all and you can accomplish a lot there but the fan run stuff is to me a lot more fun um 
in a way, even though Dragon Con is so massive, uh, more intimate than anything like a Wizard World or anything like that. It, it's it's a uh, you know they're all just different experiences, and it's cool that our culture is big enough now that we have different experiences. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. My dad actually came to MomoCon one year, and uh, I was like, well, meet me in the hotel lobby. And he calls. He's like, I'm at the lobby. I was like, okay, are you in the North Tower, South Tower? Because it's right there at the Omni. He's like, I don't know, but there are strange people. <laughs> I was like, Dad, never come to town for Dragon Con. Please don't. I love you, don't. But so, oh, it was fun that he walked away with it with a whole new respect for it, though. He's like, it's it's an actual thing. Well, which was nice. Momocon's atmosphere is so energetic and invigorating. Uh, I went for the first time this year, and it's a very different vibe. There's so much acceptance there and enthusiasm, and, and well, and it's part partly because everybody there's like 20 years younger than I am, but it, it's just the vibe is completely different. It was very interesting to see these kids just loving everything. And that's that really is the fun thing is to see because you're right they are like 20 years younger. <laughs> <laughs> I feel older every time I go, but I still it's it's really refreshing to see you know I'm like oh you sweet summer children. Uh, yeah, seriously. Well, there was no cynicism. I didn't see a second of cynicism there. It, it was amazing. You um, must have missed me then. <laughs> <laughs> so I was only down there for a day because I didn't know what I would be getting into. I was like, all right, I'm going to try it for a day this year see how it goes and i think what i'm going to do is bring my son down there next year because he's he's 11 and everything that's down there is everything that he's into so oh yeah yeah i think he'll have a good time down there so second in charge of comics programming at dragon con in charge of comics programming at momocon huge enormous tasks and you've been working uh in comics retail for years now but your personal background with comics, how how did you get into this life? Um, I, I can remember being crazy young. Like, like, one of my first memories is my dad and I would bet on football games. Because he was Georgia Tech, loved Georgia Tech, so it was the only way he could get me to sit through a game is if there were some kind of odds. I may or may not have a gambling problem. <laughs> I won't give you the odds. Um but I won, and I don't know why, but I just wanted to go to a comic shop. So I remember him taking me to a comic shop, and I want to say I got, like, a Richie Rich, you know, because five-year-old girl and, you know. Sure, sure. 1986, what, what is there? And, and then I don't remember being, like, too into it, but I remember being, like, 12 or 13, and the X-Men show came on, and then I remember picking up that Jim Lee X-Men like Jean Grey and Cyclops on the front. I was like, "Oh, this is it. I'm good. Here we are. This is me." Yeah, that but, was that was my portal too. It was uh, one of the first when I when I had my own money. Uh, Uncanny X Men was the, the I bought a pile of comics, but that was the one that I was like, I have to get the next one and find out what's happening. Oh, most definitely. Now, pop culture wise, I had been watching Batman '66 forever. Of course, of course. Like because. Um, we had a cable. I had a cable box in my room. Like I don't know how I managed to pull that one off. But after a certain time in the '80s, you had a limited number of channels, so Nickelodeon would turn into Nick at Night, and they would play like My Three Sons and Mr. Ed and Batman '66. And I would stay up way past my bedtime to watch Batman '66. 
and and just fell in love with Batman. Yeah, it's funny to me with I was actually discussing this with somebody the other day, just Batman in general, but without that show, you know, how much of a cornerstone of our current pop culture boom or genre boom, whatever you want to call it, it comes from that show and our generation growing up with it as our gateway. It's it's phenomenal. I mean, you know, the unit of measurement for how much a book sells is a Batman. <laughs> That makes sense. That totally makes sense. Your, your book sold 1.5 Batman. Like, that's 100% legit. Well, and, and especially now with uh, Tom King on the book, I mean, that guy's in the top five every single week, it seems like. Well, yeah, oh, come on. Yeah, no, um, the, the only problem with opening my shop now is I don't get access to comics on Tuesdays, so I have not read Mr. Miracle for tomorrow, and it... It, I'm dying slowly inside. Uh, yeah, it's the last one, right? It, it is the last oh one. Oh, my gosh. And it's one of those... There, there, are, there are authors that leave me confused in the same way that math does, um, which, which would be uh, Jonathan Hickman. Yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. On board. There are authors that leave me confused in the way that Grant Morrison does, but, but it's more like confused by art. And then there's Tom King, who I like. I'm there. I get it. I see what he's doing. I don't really know what's going on, but I'm on board. And that's that, what Mr. Miracle has been. Oh, Mr. Miracle's just been interesting. Like, I, I don't even know how to, what, what to say other than, like, I just, I want to know how it ends. And it's so close. I want to know how it ends, and I want to read the whole thing over again once it's all in my hands uh, oh most definitely and I'm, I'm very excited for that okay so uh infinite realities is the name yes. of the new store it's opening december 1st is that correct that is correct we have a ribbon cutting ceremony at 9 45 store opens at 10 and then we have artists lined up starting at 11 a.m for signings uh we've got andy price at 11 laura martin will be joining us at noon and then marcus uh, and Greg from Tuskegee Airs will be joining us at one. Awesome, very cool. And this is what what can we expect from this store? Because you've got comic shops, you've got comic and gaming shops, you've got comic and toy shops, you've got shops that try to be everything to everyone. What what is you guys? Uh, are you branching out? What is your focus? Uh, well, in the beginning, we're going to focus on the books. Uh, we are going to make sure to have D&D, and we're going to try and have Magic the Gathering and board games, um, and a little bit of action figures. But what we really want to do is get to know the community, because each store is really built by the community it serves. So I don't want to order something that I know may have sold well somewhere else, but I, I don't know if this community would like it. Sure. So... I would rather start with a focus on the books and get to know the community and expand a product line that way rather than go in, you know, just everything. Like, I'm, I'm hoping we can move into Gunpla at some point, um, but I'm not sure that we'll be able to have it on opening day. That's very, very smart, too, because it seems like a lot of retailers, even if they're veterans... When they're starting a new project, they get a little carried away. They get a little caught up in ordering merchandise and wanting to have everything that everybody might want. 
and they don't have a good gauge because because areas it's so funny how different areas can be from just a few miles apart and i'm sure you know this Mm -hmm. uh, just no demand whatsoever for certain stuff and then five miles away people go bonkers for it oh most most certainly like they're you know you you could call a store in Smyrna and say, hey, do you have this book? Oh, I'm sitting on stacks of it. You call another store in, let's say, Douglasville, and they're, they've been sold out for weeks. You just never know. Now, are you guys going to have any kind of, um, like, a media area for in-store events, performances, things like that? We do have a gaming area that we could probably convert into to more of a staging area, but um, most... We we can we've got space to be mobile. Uh, I I don't really know how to explain the actual space, but there's a lot of room and there's good flow. And well, and that's cool. Again, it's it's about being adaptable. It's about having you know having that space and saying this is what we're using it for now. But if something comes up, this could you know easily move move things around, play a little Tetris, and have space for something else. Of course, and that's again, you know, it's retail is so so weird. It's like you said, and you, it is something you have to keep in mind that you don't want to go and buy all the things that you. I mean, and part of it is you, even if you love something, it may not sell well. Like I like some stuff that is awful, but I love it. Um, but something I couldn't sell to everybody, so it wouldn't make sense though. Even though I love it, oh, I want to have three on my shelf. Well, no, I can't sell three. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's part of it, and it's something one of my partners has had to come to terms with, and his friends call him out on it. He's not a huge Deadpool fan, uh, but we did a couple pop-up stores before we were able to actually get into our space, and he had a whole box of Deadpool, and like a sign said, hey, kids, it's Deadpool, and his friends were like, well, what about Deadpool? It's like, well, I like making money. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So it's, it's you know, you have to, to balance what you want versus what you're community wants it's 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 weird you have to curate a collection to suit the community's needs yeah absolutely that well and you've got to you've got to know your customers you've got to understand the area but like you said you get you've also got to carry plenty of deadpool even if you can't stand the guy because at the the end of the day you got to make the money well yeah and and as much as you know it's you love art but you still gotta gotta eat (laughs) that's right that's exactly right all right i'm gonna put you on the spot now all right. But since you are a veteran of retail, you can handle this. I walk into this store. I've been away from comics for a few years, but I want to start picking up some books again. Uh, I dig the superhero stuff. I'm open to whatever's out right now. I just want what's a good, compelling read. What are you going to recommend to me? Um... Okay, so there there are a couple schools of thought here. Uh, if you're a Marvel fan, I'm going to put Cosmic Ghost Rider in your hand because it's a direction that this, the publisher's never taken with characters that are familiar enough, but there's enough of an interest to be compelling. Uh, if you were more interested in like Batman, Superman stuff, Heroes in Crisis is really neat, but I would probably put Bendis' Man of Steel in your hands. Uh, it's a four-issue run. It's Bendis' first story at DC Comics. And that was kind of like one of those moves that was almost like Kirby when he went from Marvel to DC. They promoted it very similarly, too. It's a solid read. I was ready to not like it, but it's it's good. 
And if you're looking for something a um, little more independent, there's just so much stuff coming out right now. Uh, you go go get a, a dartboard and throw it at Image, and you'll find something. Yeah, like, you're not kidding about that. Yeah. Well, um, you you won't find Saga though. Darn it. Oh, you, we we can't. We don't <laughs> talk about Saga until Saga's back. We're on a hiatus with Saga. I, it's funny when when it uh, when the the last issue came out, I kind of sat down for a second and I was like, okay, do I really need to keep buying comics for the next year? <laughs> You're you are not the only person. There have been a couple of times over the last few years where yeah, because you know, uh, quality goes up and down, and and books we love, different creative teams come on. There's an ebb and flow to your to your fandom if you if you aren't cycling through books as much as you should be like trying different things and a couple of times over the last few years i've been like man if it wasn't for saga i don't know if i'd keep going to the comic shop uh just just because it would be at a low point where maybe dc and marvel just happened to both not be great at the same time uh but saga kept coming i kept going and now saga's on a little break but I'm really, really happy with what DC is doing. Uh, Marvel's got a couple of interesting books I'm enjoying. So if they can just keep me going for the next year until I can get my fix again. Um, what I'm, I'm With DC, what they've got coming out is blowing me away. Like, I cannot wait for the Kelly Sue DeConnick Aquaman. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, well, that and, um, oh, shoot, it just fell right out of my head, and I just did my previews thing a couple of weeks ago. Grant Morrison? Yes, Grant Morrison's Green Lantern. It's in my stack upstairs. I just haven't gotten to it yet. I, I, you and me both, and I'm kicking myself because I'm a Grant Morrison fan. But the problem is, is I want to sit down and digest it. Yes, yes. And I'm trying to open a store. so got, You're a little busy. A little busy. A little busy. Yeah, that's like, like I can do bite-sized stuff right now. Like I, I just read The New Walking Dead. That's fine. I can get that done in a few minutes. But Grant Morrison, I, especially on Green Lantern, that needs like 20 minutes, half an hour of my time. Grant Mor- that's where you get like the fireplace and the slippers yes. and the pipe. Yes, and I have not had that time uh, since that came out. Uh, all right, so I think we've, we've covered what you've got going on, what's happening at the store. Uh, before we temporarily, we're going to, for, for this particular segment, we're going to wrap up and then come back later with a big episode, hopefully from the store. Uh, but before we go today, is there anything else you want to mention about Infinite Realities uh, and what you guys are going to be doing there? We're, we're going to be the best store in Atlanta. Nice. Like, I like that's that. That's just what it is. Um, we're going to be a store like no other. Uh, we we're, we want to be there for the community. We want to make sure the art's focused on. And we want to be a place where people can come together and celebrate what they love, and what, which is what we love. That's absolutely fantastic. And where can we find you online? We are at, uh, we've got Facebook, Infinite Realities Comics. And let me make sure I get the right email address, or the uh, Infinite Realities... I'm sorry, I'm horrible. No, no, that's fine. That's fine because uh, I, uh, I want I want to make sure all the websites and everything are correct on here. All right, it's infinitrealitiescomics.com. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank you, Jamie, for coming on the show talking about infinite realities. I can't wait to see the store, and uh, I can't wait to see you guys and what you're doing in there. Thanks. Come on and give us a holler anytime. <laughs>
Mickey Mouse was created as a replacement for Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, an earlier cartoon character created by the Disney studio for Charles Mintz, a film producer who distributed product through Universal Studios. In the spring of 1928, with the series going strong, Disney asked Mintz for an increase in the budget. But Mintz instead demanded that Walt take a 20% budget cut. And as leverage, he reminded Disney that Universal owned the character and revealed that he had already signed most of Disney's current employees to his new contract. Angrily, Disney refused the deal and returned to produce the final Oswald cartoons he contractually owed Mintz. Disney was dismayed at the betrayal by his staff, but determined to restart from scratch. The new Disney studio initially consisted of animator Ub Iwerks and a loyal apprentice artist, Les Clark, who together with Wilfred Jackson were among the few who remained loyal to Walt. One lesson Disney learned from the experience was to thereafter always make sure that he owned all rights to the characters produced by his company. In the spring of 1928, Disney asked Ub Iwerks to start drawing up new character ideas. Iwerks tried sketches of various animals, such as dogs and cats, but none of these appealed to Disney. A female cow and male horse were also rejected. They would later turn up as Clarabelle Cow and Horace Horsecollar. A male frog was also rejected. It would later show up in Iwerks' own Flip the Frog series. Walt Disney got the inspiration for Mickey Mouse from a tame mouse at his desk at Laffogram Studio in Kansas City, Missouri. In 1925, Hugh Harmon drew some sketches of mice around a photograph of Walt Disney. These inspired Iwerks to create a new mouse character for Disney. Mortimer Mouse had been Disney's original name for the character before his wife Lillian convinced him to change it, and ultimately Mickey Mouse came to be. During the last few years, we've ventured into a lot of different fields, and we've had the opportunity to meet and work with a lot of wonderful people. I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a mouse. Congratulations, Mr. Mickey Mouse. Congratulations to you. Congratulations. Your picture show was fine. It's a hit. It's a hit. And we want to shake your hand. Congratulations. Happy days to you. You sure brought down the house. And we hope you have a lot of success. Phantomaniacs, we have a very special day coming up this Sunday. Our old pal Mickey Mouse will be turning 90 years old. Now, what that means is that most of us here have grown up with Mickey as a constant part of our lives. And what I wanted to do was gather uh, some, some of the group that I knew were huge Disney fans, huge Mickey fans, but most importantly, great talkers to talk about Mickey Mouse, to share our memories of you know how Mickey he's been there always but our first memories of seeing Mickey how he came to into our lives and uh just go through the years the significance of this mouse that has literally changed the face of pop culture and entertainment and uh I've got a great crew here to do it everybody neat and pretty wait a minute Mickey Mouse I thought we were talking about Mickey Rat Oh, Derek, you um, truly are a, a rough in the diamonds. There, First of all, goes, let me welcome there Derek. There the ten minutes of Wikipedia research that I just did. Well, it was nice knowing you, sir. Uh, everybody, please welcome Derek to the show. We all know him from running the Dragon Con Horror Track and uh, being a, a constant voice of entertaining curmudgeonliness. Derek, how are you doing tonight? 
I'm doing okay. Also joining us, and uh, my unofficial co-host for the evening, there you go, that that is now official, <laughs> Mr. Oh, Sean Reed, Rad Ranger, how you doing? Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going great, or at least it was until a few minutes ago. <laughs> we started uh, off strong in Hindenburg. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's going downhill now. Uh, but now we're going to bring things back up because uh, you hear the name Derek, and immediately the next name you go to is Ryan. Ryan Cadaver, how are you doing tonight? What's up? I'm doing great. I uh, am enjoying this lovely weather we're having in Georgia. It's That's super awesome. awesome. <laughs> People are complaining about the rain, but I'll take the rain as long as it's this cool outside. Uh, I'm just, like, super depressed, but, you know, I've what? been watching Mickey Mouse cartoons, so it's okay. Just oh. the rain, man. Every day, it's unbearable. Oh, no, dude. Uh, rain doesn't, doesn't... I mean, look, rain's annoying, but... It's nice and cold out, so I'll take it. I, I've anything to get rid of the the horrible heat of the past few months. That's a good point. So now that we've uh, achieved our small talk quotient and discussed the weather like a bunch of old, boring businessmen, Dan Wilson, welcome back to the show. Hey, thank you very much for having me back. It has been quite a while, but I can't think of a better topic to discuss than my close personal friend and the man I share a birthday with, a birthday with the one and only Mickey Mouse. Oh my gosh, is that true? I didn't even know that. Yep, November 18th. That's, oh. uh, <laughs> and many as well. Oh man, that's fantastic! I I I didn't even know that when we discussed you coming on the show. What a what a tremendous uh, surprise for us! And uh, thank you for taking your valuable uh, birthday era time to discuss Mickey Mouse with with people who would rather discuss the weather and Mickey Rat. <laughs> Glad to be here. We'll we'll see how this goes. So obviously, we want to start off at the beginning. That's what we usually do here on the Needless Things podcast and talk about our earliest memories of Mickey Mouse, whether it be toys, cartoons, uh, maybe a movie appearance, uh, whatever the case may be. But I want to start with my genial co-host, Sean Reed. Sean, what, what's your earliest Mickey memory? Uh, my earliest Mickey memory, uh, in true Sean fashion, is um, my inability to hear things properly. Uh, so, um, as a kid, and I don't even remember when I was first introduced to it, but as a kid, I was convinced that Mickey Mouse in the Mickey Mouse Club song was spelled (laughs) M-I-C-Cake-E-Y. The word cake. Sure. E-Y. And I would sing it like that, M-I-C-Cake-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E. Uh, completely unaware that, uh, no, it's M-I-C-K-E-Y. And I just figured, well, it's Mickey Mouse. Of course he has cake in the middle of his name, and it's silent. So uh, it's one of my earliest (laughs) memories is uh, singing the Mickey Mouse Club theme song incorrectly for years and nobody in my family being willing to correct me and be like, hey, dumbass, it's M-I-C-K-E-Y. Cake isn't a letter. Um, But if you've seen my waistline, uh, cake is a very integral part of my life, so explains a lot. Uh, you know what? And I'm, I'm not even. I, I'm going to go with you on that one. I'm going to say if anybody should have just cake as an entity as part of their name, <laughs> right. it's Mickey Mouse because uh, the only thing that brings nearly as much joy as Mickey is cake. Right, and then you do Mickey shaped cake, and it's 
uh, I will probably later get into my obsession with Mickey-shaped foods. I, I was going to uh, say, I'm sure we're going to hit on that. Oh, because, yeah, you can't not. I mean, you just you make ice cream or waffles shaped like Mickey Mouse, and they immediately get 100 times uh, more delicious. Yeah, it does seem that way. Uh, so Dan, what about you? What's your earliest Mickey memory? My earliest Mickey memory, um, God, it's hard to point to one specific one in the early years because he was essentially ubiquitous from my mom singing a Mickey Mouse Club uh, house theme song to Mickey being on garments that I would wear and toys. But uh, I took my first trip to Disney World in the summer of 1984 uh, when I was three. So just when my earliest memories were forming, that probably had a lot to do with it. Uh, really starting to develop an attachment with that character at that time. And then to top that off, later in that year, the Mickey's Christmas Carol cartoon debuted in the United States, and I watched it on the Wonderful World of Disney in that one-hour block. And to this day, it is still my favorite telling of the Charles Dickens Christmas Carol and, in my opinion, uh, one of the best Disney cartoons ever made. Man, I can't even disagree with that. I, I was in in going through stuff for the show. Uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol obviously comes up because you know not only is Mickey huge, but Christmas is huge uh, here on Needless Things, and I, I I could not come to a decision about Mickey's Christmas Carol versus the Muppet Christmas Carol. I I would have I would literally have to tear myself in two if somebody asked me to choose. Uh, but you're right, Mickey's Christmas Carol is one of the finest pieces of of animation disney's ever produced yeah that's a tough battle between uh, mickey's and the muppets man uh, because the muppets one is absolutely fantastic as well and it, it is like a more long form version where the, the mickey's version is only 30 minutes but there's so many significant things about mickey's christmas carol one being that clarence nash the original donald duck who did the donald voice alongside walt disney and the other original characters uh, that was his last performance as donald Oh wow, I did I wasn't aware of that. And and that's why I love having these group conversations is usually uh you you guys are a lot better with the the history and the dates and stuff than I tend to be. Uh but but also and, and this is a big difference with Mickey Mouse versus other uh you know, Looney Tunes, Muppets, whatever it might be. Mickey is sort of the pure he didn't start off this way, but but by certainly by 83, he was kind of the pure innocent Let's just have have fun and be decent voice of, of sort of the youth oriented pop culture and and i I love that because so much of the things that he's been in that's been a cornerstone of them is that like well, Mickey's the good guy, and it's perfect for Bob Cratchit in the Christmas Carol oh absolutely uh what about you derek what what's your earliest Mickey memory? The earliest memory I have is I had a, uh, I still have it. It's a toy of Mickey Mouse where he walks when you like lift his arms up and push his hands. Does anybody remember this? Um, I guess it was from the seventies though. So, but that's my earliest memory. And I remember watching the Mickey Mouse Club. Uh, as a kid, I think the first uh, cartoon I saw him in was the Christmas Carol. Now that I think about it, though, that's interesting. So it's not like a, your standard like wind up toy. It has like a different gimmick to get him to walk. Yeah, yeah. It's like 
uh, like push the palms of his hands and his legs will walk up and down. It's interesting. Oh, that's kind of cool. And that that's, if there is a type of toy out there, regardless of what the gimmick is or the innovation or whatever, Mickey's face has been on it at some point. Uh, oh yeah. I, I think he's one of the few characters that can lay claim to, to having been made as every kind of toy there is. Uh, do you, do the rest of you guys, are there any specific Mickey, Mickey toys you remember? Cause I'll, I'll go ahead and say one of my earliest Mickey memories, uh, when I was very, very young, possibly around two years old, uh, certainly prior to my big Star Wars Christmas that I've talked about before, uh, I got a Mickey figure that was, it wasn't a bendy, which was very common at the time, but it was sort of, a, it was one of those vinyl type figures that now are considered more of a collector oriented thing. But when I was a kid, um, those hollow uh, sort of rotocast style toys were, were a thing. Uh, and I remember having this Mickey Mouse figure that, you know, who knows what was in the paint at the time back before we had regulations. So so after a few years, this Mickey that originally had the, the white gloves and the red shorts and the yellow shoes uh, and, and the, the details painted on his face was just this all black vinyl uh, Mickey Mouse shaped like golem. Which, granted, is another thing that collectors go for now, these unpainted vinyl toys, but uh, it, all the paint had worn off and, and probably did horrible things to my brain because I'm pretty sure I ate it all off. But uh, that's, that's, one of the, that's one of my earliest Mickey memories and, and certainly one of the earliest things I associated with uh, being a constant of Mickey in my life. Uh, Ryan... Let's let's uh, double up on yours. One, what's your earliest earliest Mickey memory? But also, what's a Mickey toy that you remember having when you were a kid? Um, so I, I don't really remember uh, a time where Mickey Mouse wasn't associated with this huge like corporation. He was like the face of it, and I think I, I never grew up with like the Disney Channel or anything because where I lived, we didn't have it. So I think the first time I really I, I was always aware of Mickey Mouse, but the first time I realized like what Mickey Mouse was was actually meeting him at Disney World for the first time oh my as a gosh. kid. And I at that point I was like, Oh man, like this is like, you know, meeting Jesus or something. Like he's like <laughs> or Santa Claus or something you know, he's like on that level where it's like, you know, oh my god, like this is a really important figure that's in front of me. You know, of course I thought he was real, you know, whatever. But, um, which, you know, he is real, but, you know, it uh, is one of those things where I remember meeting him and that's when Mickey Mouse became really important. And still to this day, like meeting Mickey Mouse is like one of the biggest things for me to do when I'm at Disney. And like, I don't have kids. Like I just want to meet Mickey Mouse. Like it's, it's that important to me. Uh, as far as toys, I think the first thing I remember having was, uh, it wasn't the standard Mickey ears, but it was the Mickey ears that had Mickey's face on the top, like the top half of his face. And it had like the fur on it. And I got it at Disney World, and I just remember wearing that around the house all the time. And I had it for years. I don't know where it's at now, but that was probably my my big Mickey Mouse collectible that I had was the Mickey ears from uh, from Disney World. Oh, nice man, that's solid. Yeah, you guys that that had such early Disney World experiences, I'm super jealous. And I, granted, I, I did get to go when I was a kid, but like it was just as I was starting to get a little older and more cynical. So I didn't get that super magical, like, little kid, whoa, experience. It was more of a, like, all right, I want to go on the, all these rides, and uh, I'm 
much cooler than my family. Where the thrill is at. Those were my feelings at the time. Uh, Sean, do, do you remember a specific Mickey toy uh, from early on? Uh, so I'm certain I had a Mickey plush that went with me everywhere um, because I was a kid, and that's what you do. But the uh, the most collectible item doesn't actually, I mean, it's not a toy, but it was the Mickey watches. Um, I remember wanting one of those so bad, and when I finally got one, I wore it everywhere. And I think I wore it even when the battery died, and I didn't care because I just had the Mickey hands, and I was like, ah, it's Mickey Mouse. Um, and the, uh, and the Mickey telephone, I always wanted one of those and never had one. And I was very jealous of my friends that did the kind with Mickey standing there holding the phone and he's standing on the dialer. Uh, I don't know if I actually saw one at a thrift store a while ago, but it was, or a uh, antique store, but it was way more than I was willing to spend at the time. Yeah. It's like a, a big, phone that's not going to work. It's like a big figural Mickey. Like yeah. It's, it's, and I haven't thought about that phone in years, but that used to be like a thing like that. That was comparable to the Sports Illustrated football phone. Right, that yeah, if you weren't into football. Yeah, even if you didn't care about football, you wanted that stupid football phone. Right, and when you would go to friends' houses and you would see it, you'd be like, oh, you must be fancy because you have a subscription to a magazine. <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, but the Mickey phone where his hand was holding it and, you, and you'd show it to, I mean, I don't know, Ryan, have you ever used a rotary phone? Um, actually I wanted that phone so bad. I remember seeing it. Like I remember a friend of mine's parents had it and I was so jealous that they had a Mickey Mouse phone. It seemed it, like you said, it seemed like the fanciest thing you could possibly yeah. own. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like to, to your, and, and granted most of us here still feel this way, but as a kid, it wasn't like, Oh, that's really weird that they have a giant toy phone. It was, Oh my gosh, they have enough money to afford a Mickey phone. <laughs> Right. These people must be rich. Right. Yeah, I, I saw one of those at a thrift store, too, and it was the same thing. They wanted, like, 60 bucks for it. I'm like, yeah, like, I, I always wanted one, but I'm not going to spend that for a phone that I can't use. Well, and what's funny about it is it's you think that's the sort of thing that they would just keep in constant production, but over the years, that, that has not been the case. Like, I think it came back in the 80s. I think maybe they... They uh, did production on them for a while, but I don't know that it's really since then been a thing. And and now with home phones becoming basically a thing of the past, I don't know that we'll see them again. And they Sean, have. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> they have a giant statue of that phone at the Pop Century Resort in Orlando. Uh, each of the buildings at that resort are themed to a different decade. And of course, in most cases, it's represented by whatever Disney was doing in that decade. I believe it's a 70s building, but they, they do have a giant, like 60 foot tall replica of that phone. Oh, that's fantastic. I didn't even remember that. And actually, Sean, you mentioning that watch blows my mind because I had completely forgotten that one of my, uh, uh, a recurring theme, and, and Sean, I know you've heard this before, a recurring theme of my childhood was asking my parents for a thing and then getting that thing like five years later by the time the desire for it had completely passed. <laughs> And I remember that, that's a common theme for all of us growing up, I think, to an extent. Yeah. By the time they, they forget. Yeah. By the time they like and, and I understand it now because your parent brain is so fraught with 
everything that you have to do that the kid need doesn't always well especially if it's it's something that is is a kid need but from your point of view is a kid want yeah. doesn't always quite become the priority so i asked for a mickey mouse watch for years and and this is when i was i was too young to be wearing watches there was no reason for you know an, an 8 year old to have a nice watch because Mickey Mouse watches in general were not like little kid watches. I mean, there were versions, but the one you're talking about with Mickey on the face and his arms point to the numbers, like that's a nice watch. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was like a leather band watch yes. that an eight year old has no business wearing uh, yes, ever. It, exactly. So I probably asked for it when I was eight. I probably got it when I was like 12, 13. But this was the one time where I still wanted the thing that I had asked for. And exactly like you said, I wore it always. Uh, And I'll tell you right now, a 12, 13-year-old wearing a Mickey Mouse watch was not seen as the coolest thing in my part of town. But I, in general, was not seen as the coolest thing in my part of town. Uh, So... I didn't care. I wore that thing and the battery went down and I didn't care. I still wore it. Uh, and then I learned that you could change at the time. And this, in our modern world of Google and the internet, it's going to seem ridiculous to think that a 12 year old might not know that watches take batteries. Right. But at the time, I don't think that I knew this because when you said the battery ran out and I still wore it, I was like, oh my gosh, I did the same thing. And I hadn't thought about that in years. Uh, but eventually, I think I think uh, this is all coming back to me now. I believe my dad asked me what time it was at some point, And I looked at my watch and I said, I don't know. My watch doesn't work anymore. And he said... Well, does it need new batteries? And I said, "What?" <laughs> and I You're think, like, "What? What do you mean?" He immediately took me to the store, and I saw my first watch battery. And I'm—it's got to be that Mickey Mouse watch because that was the first uh, fancy watch that I had. Uh, and then I, I think it was replaced by a neon orange and green swatch uh, very quickly. Yeah, well, and those are way better to give to kids, let's be honest, because they were disposable. And you know what? Oh, no, they weren't. Swatches were expensive, my friend. They were pricey watches. Oh, yeah, but they were... But well, they, they were, they were, yeah, they were pricey, but they were kind of like, they had the, cheap and resilient. Well, they had the swatch guard. Yes, yeah. yeah the all-important swatch guard. Yeah. Uh, we're going to so, have to do a future episode on swatch. We will absolutely do a swatch episode. So anyway, uh, to get back to the topic at hand... Because I feel Sean and I have left everybody else behind in our stupid watch conversation. (laughs) Welcome to the Watchcast. Uh, So Derek brought up the toy originally, uh, but Dan, did we we hit on, uh, did you have an early Mickey toy? I've had a few. I remember plushes of, of several varieties, and I had my ratty ass ears from my first trip because I didn't get to go back until I was an adult and took my family. So you know, I, I hung on to those ratty uh, Mickey ears for several years before they finally gave out. My mom probably threw them away. Uh, but the one I remember the most was this playset that my sister had that I was just dumbfounded by, and like like you would mention, too old to be really into Mickey Mouse but on the sly of course I would sneak and play with it because I thought it was cool as shit yeah yeah uh- 
But it was a Disney World Magic Kingdom playset, so it had like, uh, or I guess it was probably a Disneyland because it had a Ferris wheel and it had teacups and it had a castle, and it had these little like plastic figurines that were hollowed out almost on the inside, uh, but they, they weren't very big. They I'd say probably less than three inches tall, and um, we had a ton of fun with those things, of course, until my sister left them sitting in front of the kerosene heater. Oh, and his no. ears bent over because they melted. So uh, he was always then forever folded ear Mickey. Oh, man. Sad Mickey with droopy ears. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, I, I like that you bring that up because we're, we're going to talk about the theme parks a little bit in a minute. But, uh, Dan, you being the other parent here, uh, what for you, having visited Disney as a kid and having brought your family, what would you say is, is your preferred experience? And I'll, I'll go ahead and say, I went uh, a couple of times with my family when I was a kid, but for me being able to take my family is like the best thing in the world. Oh yeah, it it is. I mean, it still possesses that magic quality and it, it really is meaningful to our family. Um, our daughter, when she was three, we took her for the first time and she's about to turn seven now. And, uh, she had some social issues in those days and we didn't really know what was going on. We'd taken her and, and had her tested for some various things and, you know, nothing bad came back, but she just could not deal with being in public people like it was, and it was starting to wear on us. We couldn't go out for dinner. Uh, we couldn't go out as a family and do anything. So, you know, we were just like, for screw it. We're going to take her to Disney and it's either sink or swim. And luckily she swam. Uh, she came back from that trip, a completely different kid uh, was talking and opening up to people. And uh, it all definitely spawned from meeting her hero, Minnie and Mickey, of course. Oh man, that's fantastic. I, we, I don't have quite the same deal, but we, uh, my, my plan had been when my son, I didn't want to take my son to Disney until he was around five. Like that was my original plan. Cause I just felt like it, 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 he won't really get it until then. But, uh, my wife's parents for their, uh, anniversary and for his birthday wanted to take us down there when he was three. And while I felt like that was too early, I was like, you know what? We're going to Disney. Let's do it. And I, it turns out I was wrong because he was have he was very very shy. Uh, he didn't. Uh, it wasn't an issue, but he didn't really want to interact with other people. You never knew how he was going to react. Like we did the Santa thing. Uh, we took him to see Santa, and he freaked having no part of Santa. We got down to Disney. And they have, you know, the Disney, Mickey and Minnie and Goofy and Pluto and everybody are walking around. And our first day, we went to Animal Kingdom, and you, uh, they had Donald, Mickey, Minnie, Pluto, Goofy in the safari outfits, hanging out. He ran over to him, like didn't even. We didn't have to carry him over there. We didn't have to do, you know, do our normal. Hey, this is you know this person it's cool you can be around them whatever like it it was a, a similar kind of thing where 
he just opened up and like this was no problem because dude we were terrified that he was going to freak out and that the the whole trip we were going to have to hide him from like the characters walking around or or you know you you don't know you that first trip down there is a little anxious right oh yeah because you don't know like really the first few years of the kid's life you don't know how they're going to react to anything but we got down there and and same thing man it was just magical everything everything worked it, it was great and i attribute that to to mickey mouse and that image that he has yeah so, i'd agree so for everybody else we'll get to the theme park stuff in a minute um we we've discussed our, our first mickey memories we've discussed uh mickey being a toy mogul and i'm sure we'll talk about mickey toys a little bit more uh but ryan you brought up the Disney Channel, and while you didn't have it growing up, I have to mention something, and and I want to know if the rest of you remember this at all. Uh, does anybody remember the show Mouser Size? Vaguely. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, Mouser Size was a show on the Disney Channel, and... Uh, and it was it came on in the very early morning, so I it would be on before I went to school. And it was an exercise show because Disney, whatever you want to say about the Disney Corporation, uh, they they have always had an interest in. Uh, I don't want to say keeping kids healthy, but like they're not irresponsible with their marketing. Like when you go to the Disney parks. You can get if you need specific kinds of food. If you ask for it, you can get the right kinds of food. Like they're they're not a dispassionate corporation. And Mouser Size was aimed at keeping kids healthy and exercising. So it's literally when you see anytime you see a reference to the '80s, you see the exercise show, right? Like the the one of the oh, easiest yeah. '80s tags is the lady and the leotard. All right, let's go. We're leading the group of people working out, and that's what Mouser Size was. Now, Mickey Mouse was not really present in this show, but Kellen Plaschert was present, and she led the exercising, and I really enjoyed watching her exercise. And that was that was like an early kind of early on i didn't have any i was like why are we watching mouser size instead of cartoons why don't they play cartoons in the morning i would much rather be watching that but eventually i learned to love mouser size and i just want to give a shout out to that show for uh uh encouraging my growth as a human and as a man let's just say that hold on i'm googling mouser size i might be lost for a few minutes <laughs> i was I was really hoping that it was like Mickey Mouse, just like P90X, but with Mickey Mouse just going <laughs> and working up a sweat. But uh, that sounds way cooler. So I mean, hang in there. That's probably going to happen. That's, that's coming. He's I can like, see. I can see like more. a totally ripped Mickey. All right, get back up on that barbell. <laughs> Let's do some pull-ups. Now it's time for burpees, huh? They'll. they'll it'll be Mick Fit. Like oh, yeah, but with Mickey yeah. Mouse, and you'll have Mickey Mouse shaped. Uh, uh, what are the what are the uh, Sean? You'll know this. The the weighted 
balls they pick oh, up. Oh, yeah. Oh, now I want a kettlebell. Yeah, kettlebell. Mickey Mouse-shaped kettlebell. Mickey kettlebells. Right? That would be amazing. That's got to be a thing. It's got to be. I'm going to look and see if Onnit has those. They have uh, Avengers-based ones. Yeah, so it's, I mean, that's, the, and if that's not a thing, uh, get on it and get sued by Disney. <laughs> it's the new theme park alchemy and products. And sell them, yeah, sell them the design. Exactly. He, he's All already right. the right shape. It's perfect. Yeah, right, totally. All right, so we're going to move on. Uh, Mickey cartoons are essential. They're something we all grew up with, and there's so many eras of Mickey cartoons. I'm honestly not even sure where to start this conversation, so I'm going to go to our co-host, Sean Reed, uh, to say, when when you looked at our show notes and you saw cartoons, what was your first thought? I got all of them. Um, unacceptable answer. Narrow. Actually, no, no, no. So to be honest, my first thought with, uh, Mickey Mouse cartoons is not even, is necessary. Obviously Steamboat Willie. Cause, sure. Uh, hashtag Mickey spoke first. Chad Shonk. Oh, um, <laughs> solid. <laughs> um, so that definitely comes to mind first, but then just, it, it's not even necessarily Mickey specific stuff. But you think about the whole Disney afternoon, which was, was my afternoon for years even well past the time when I was in that particular demographic. Yeah. Um, it was like, okay, well, no, I'm coming home, and I'm going to watch DuckTales, and I'm going to watch Tailspin, and I'm going to go to college and buy the CD that has all of these theme songs on it that I'm going to listen to unironically. Sean, and- you have failed this city. None of the Disney afternoon uh, involved Mickey Mouse. I know. You, but I'm you- just saying, like, that's I was going – anyway – where, no, 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 there's no, there's no road down the Disney afternoon that leads to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> there's just not, although it's, it's interesting though, that at that point in history, uh, Mickey was in kind of a lull to the point where we got DuckTales and Tailspin and Rescue Rangers and, and a bunch of cartoons that did not in any way feature Disney's signature guy. I feel like there was a period where he didn't show up in a lot of things. I mean, he was uh, definitely on the back burner uh, that that late '80s period. Um, he he definitely wasn't as much the you know he's always been the face of Disney, but as far as the animation goes, uh, you know they they kind of they kind of put him put him in a uh, on hold for a little while. Yeah, I feel like the last thing he probably would have been in would have been Fantasia. Um, that I recall seeing him in at least would would be you know Fantasia when he was uh, at, as a sorcerer's apprentice, but then I can't really think of well. There's in the a few made for TV stuff. There was the Three Musketeers cartoon, which I think was after Fantasia, I believe. And that yeah, it was well after. Yeah, that one's great, and that was about that that era. Well, and they had because Fantasia was what sixties, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was in the 60s originally, and then they re-released it, like a, another version of it in 2000 with some additional stuff. So that's probably where a lot of people saw it, was it, it came back into the public eye in the year 2000. Uh, actually, and, uh, November 13th, 1940. Holy crap. So we, oh uh, my yesterday, gosh. yeah, wow. yesterday would have been the birth, the uh, anniversary, the birthday, the anniversary of uh, Fantasia. So we uh, had we we mentioned Mickey's Christmas Carol, which was eighty three, and then another the the next 
sort of big appearance that I can think of was Mickey and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh yeah, yeah, and that was a that was mind blowing. It was kid. because at the time, you know, Mickey started off as a little more mischievous, a little more. Uh, I don't want to say too much it, of a rogue, but he he was a different character in the beginning. He wasn't so Mickey Mouse. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. and that's that's a tribute actually to his notoriety is that the term Mickey Mouse has connotation. Uh, but you're right; he started off as kind of the guy that just couldn't quite get it right for Minnie, and and had he you know he had schemes at first. He was a different thing, and then over time, he became that sort of pure bastion of of goodness that we knew him for. To the point where when he did show up in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I remember watching that movie in the theater with my grandfather, and you know, it's it's the scene is incredible. It's mind blowing. And at the time, uh it, it's one of the biggest things I'd ever seen. Bob Hoskins has has fallen out of the door after being chased by Gina Hyena, and uh you know, Bugs and Mickey are there with their parachutes. And Bugs hands him the bum parachute, and Mickey's just kind of like, ha-ha, take it, buddy, everything will be fine. And it turns out to be an anvil. And I remember at the time thinking, like, whoa, Mickey just screwed this guy over. And it was, while that was that, that mischievous prankster was part of his character early on, by that time in my life, uh, by 1988, Mickey was such a pure thing that I couldn't believe he was doing this to this guy. But, like, that was crazy. Do you guys remember that? I mean, obviously you remember the scene in the movie, but do you remember your reaction to it initially? Yeah, um, and by that point I had uh, become uh, interested in Disney stuff So, and had seen some of the earlier cartoons, so it wasn't as much of a shock. But uh, still, it was pretty damn funny. So, well, and that's the thing is you 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 were used to Bugs being funny in that way, but at, at that point in Mickey, Mickey's history, seeing Mickey use that kind of humor was very unusual. Uh, Dan, do you remember seeing that and what your reaction to it was? Oh yeah, it was just like the ultimate. It's the original crossover, the original Avengers moment. Where if you were a child of the '80s, I think was the the end there of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where all of these various cartoon legends from different canons show up and all converge on Toontown. Uh, so that alone was really what I was more hung up on. Um, I did remember some of the shorts that I'd seen in replay where he was a little more mischievous, so that it didn't bother me as much. Um, honestly, the newer Mickey cartoons done by Paul Rudish uh, for the Disney Channel started in 2013. If you haven't seen those, you've got to check those out. They've brought some of that mischievous element of Mickey back. He's yeah. still super wholesome, but, uh, you know, he, he does get into a pickle from time to time by being <laughs> stupid or, or uh, overreaching. Uh, and, and honestly, I, I think when we get to talking about our favorite cartoons, those are, are going to be some of mine. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Those those are uh, to me. That's that's a Disney Renaissance uh, that that series of cartoons because it really. Uh, it's funny to say that it updated the characters 
because really all it did would, was reset them to how they originally were. Uh, but it, it made them more accessible, I think, to a modern audience. And the animation style is that classical uh, animation style. And, and like you said, their personalities are very different. That Actually, that Christmas special that came out, was it last year or two years ago? Last year, I believe. Last year, that man, that Christmas special is incredible. Uh, oh, yeah. And and it's very it's hilarious, but it's not that. Uh, again, it it's sort of a a devilish hilarious. Like the what Donald goes through is is horrifying but funny at the same time. Oh, it's morbid. I mean, the Halloween special is just as yes. good, if not better. Yeah, it, yeah. Those are two just just marvelous pieces of animation. And Potato Land, if you've never seen Potato Land, stop everything you're doing right now and go look up Potato Land on, on YouTube. Basically, uh, Goofy has this mistaken childhood memory of visiting a theme park called Potato Land <laughs> that did not exist. But he's building up so big in his mind that Donald and Mickey feel bad for him, of course, so they're going to go build a fake potato land, and it's just all of this shit that's parodying the parks. They have, like, a haunted mansion and a fucking teacups ride, and it's, it's just something else. It's Potato Land is amazing. The first time I saw it, I was just, I was got, I was at the park, so we had it on the, uh, the hotel TV, and uh, I was like, this is the most amazing thing in the world, and they play them on a loop, and I just, I couldn't wait to catch it again when it came back, because it was yeah, that that is a mind blowing cartoon put out by Disney today. Oh man, I've got to track that down because I haven't seen uh, that. I I haven't seen Potato Land. That's incredible. Oh, I'm, it's it's goofy at his goofiest. Let's let's and t- everything I'm, goes sideways. I'm going to throw this out there, Disney. Could you please get your shit together as far as releasing things goes? Like, I need I need nice high definition collections of the new Mickey cartoons. Of of anything that you're doing animation wise, let's just get that out there in an easily accessible way, and not like here's three episodes of the new Mickey cartoon at, at Target for ten dollars. But just get it all out. <laughs> Although I guess Disney Plus is going to solve those problems soon, huh? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. If you're a if you're a subscriber to Disney on cable, if you you can go on the app and all of the uh, the uh, shorts and the Christmas special and the Halloween special are at least on there. Oh, nice. Okay, well, I'll have to get on there. So, is it pretty much like the HBO Go? Yeah, exactly. You just use your cable login to log in there, or I think most of them are on YouTube. The only ones that aren't on YouTube are the Halloween and the Christmas special, but all the shorts are on there. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I just watched like nine of them in a row just a few minutes ago on YouTube, and I mean it was high def. It looked great. Yeah, those those cartoons are great. But but to go back to the original cartoons, and, and for those of us that were watching the Disney Channel when we were kids, I mean that for me, uh, I still adore that Disney Channel format of programming with animated shorts in between. That's where I saw so many of the Disney or the Mickey cartoons when I was a kid. And my absolute favorite Mickey short of all time. And the, the funny thing is, is you know back in the day these were theatrical shorts. These played before movies, uh, whereas most of us probably just saw them on TV, on cable, uh, on DVD collections. However, but for me, Mickey's trailer is my favorite 
certainly of the old school Mickey Mouse cartoons. Uh, do you, have you guys seen this one? Do you know what I'm talking about? I have seen it. I haven't seen it. And is it the one? Um, no, I'm confusing it with Get a Horse. So no, I don't know that. Yeah, I yeah, it. it's not Get a Horse. Mickey Mickey gets uh, what would have been called back then a caravan trailer, which is a mobile home. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy go on a road trip, and chaos ensues because at one point they're all sitting in. This is one of my favorite gags of all time. Uh, they're all sitting in the back of the trailer. I think they're playing poker or something and they're, they're having a good time. It's great. Ha ha playing poker. And then all of a sudden one of them is like, wait a minute, who's driving? And Donald goes, Oh, it's okay. I put it on cruise control and you know, cruise control. We know how that works, but for the purpose of humor and animated characters, Donald duck doesn't know how it works. So the chaos ensues it's it's amazing the comedic timing of the whole short is just incredible the interaction of donald goofy and mickey like if if somehow let's say an alien showed up on this planet and was like i have no i don't know who these donald goofy mickey people are i have no idea what this is this is the short i would show them to see how they interact and how each character's personality is defined because Mickey Mickey is is your regular guy that that he does the stuff he's oh, time to do this let's move on here Donald is the guy who doesn't think about anything that he does everything is chaos with him and he's instantly infuriated when his own idiocy has gone wrong and Goofy is just the oh, I'm going to do my best but I don't know how things work like it, it's just the perfect encapsulation of all of these characters. It's it's my favorite Mickey cartoon. Um, I I just realized that Anchorman Two completely stole that bit, one hundred percent. Dude, lots of things have stolen that bit because that cartoon came out in like uh, early forties, late thirties, something like that. I mean, it, it was it's it's one of the old ones, and uh, it, it has been used lots of times. Uh, and, and, you know, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't necessarily stolen. It may be one of those sort of general consciousness things, but, but I've seen that gag a lot, but that's the first place I ever saw it. Ryan, do you have like a, a favorite Mickey cartoon come to mind? Uh, yeah. I mean, um, I, I like the haunted house one, that little ghoul thing that shows up is like terrifying still. Uh, that lifts the the hood back, and you see his skull. It's so creepy. Is this um, the one where the ghosts call them to the house just to have something to do? Ghost. Lonesome ghosts. That's right, Derek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, this is the one where um, that this is the one I I just watched where he's like playing the piano, and this ghost shows up, and he's you know it's all spooky house thing, and then uh, I think I mean honestly I really like Steamboat Willie. Like it's so impressive. Like that one, aside from all the animal abuse that happens in it, it's, I mean, it's really good and like actually funny. Like there's moments that still make me laugh in it. What about you, Derek? Oh, we might have lost Derek. He's he's googling. No, no, no. What happened was um, the microphone. I was having trouble flipping it on and off. Uh, now that I've learned that magical function. <laughs> uh, no, I like the Lonesome Ghost a lot. Now, of course, it's not a 
uh, short, but my favorite uh, Mickey thing has is the Sorcerer's Apprentice in Fantasia, though. So, mm. yeah, and one of the one of the like, if you ask the general public, like what what is what is your image of Mickey? You know, obviously they're going to think of sort of the standard issue Mickey Mouse, but that you know with the robe and the hat on i mean that's obviously one of the biggest images people have of mickey for sure dan what about you do you have a favorite uh, mickey cartoon or a few favorite mickey cartoons that kind of stand out to you when you think about him oh so many uh <laughs> but I, it, disney to me like always goes hand in hand with the holidays there's something about the the warm fuzziness of that time of year that i think that they do better than almost any other brand so as far as the old source pluto's christmas tree is my absolute favorite uh chip and Dale, oh yeah, yeah. fun of pluto being some real assholes and he chases him up a tree well lo and behold you know mickey comes and chops that tree down to bring in for his christmas tree and he decorates it and Chip and Dale are like fucking with the ornaments and terrorizing Pluto. And of course he <laughs> destroys the tree, but of course Mickey being Mickey makes sure all of them still have a Merry Christmas and they sit there and enjoy some Christmas carolers out by the window there at the end altogether. And that's all, that's always the end game is Mickey is the guy who comes up with the resolution. He's the mediator. He's the, the guy who, who, who is the common ground, I guess, for everybody. Things I learned from Mickey Mouse. That's probably the best skill I got from Mickey was how to be a mediator. <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. Uh, Sean, what about you? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, the Fantasia one was huge, uh, as always, and clearly a big deal in the company because for, um, I forget what anniversary it was, but they had the giant sorcerer's hat over at um, Hollywood Studios up until very recently. Uh, much to the chagrin of a lot of people that like the clear view of the Chinese theater down the, the main walkway there. So um, that was a big one. And then Mickey's Christmas Carol uh, every time, which I realize is mostly a Scrooge McDuck. But, you know, him in there with his kids and his little tiny Tim, um, he just he plays a really convincing Cratchit. Uh, and uh, that's a, that's on the must watch every every year. So I've got for to get me in the Christmas mood. And I am a notorious bah humbug. Uh, but if I watch that, I will absolutely get into the Christmas mood. So uh, Mickey's got his magical powers there. So this is the part where we're going to rely a little bit more on Sean, Ryan, Dan, because I know you guys certainly in recent years have gotten to the theme parks a whole lot more than I have. Uh, I want to talk about, and, and a, a great quote from Walt Disney uh, at the opening of Disneyland is I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing that it was all started by a mouse and you know Mickey's popularity is what directly led to Walt Disney's ability to open Disneyland and later Walt Disney World and his presence in the theme parks is huge even though you can go to the theme parks and enjoy all kinds of other things, Mickey Mouse is an indelible presence there from the design, uh, you know, whether it's a shrubbery design or the shape of one of the walkways, 
uh, to the hidden Mickeys or things that are specifically based on Mickey Mouse like Toontown, uh, you know, he, he is the man there beyond a shadow of a doubt, even though there are plenty of other things to enjoy, it is Mickey's world. Uh, for me personally, uh, Fantasmic is one of the greatest live experiences I have ever had. Uh, that show is ju- it takes again that sorcerer's apprentice character uh, and pits him against many of Disney's most iconic villains, but all over a lake and projected onto this this incredible water and light show. Uh, that that's one of my favorite Mickey oriented things in the park. You guys have all seen Fantasmic at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah. It's best one of the best it's one of the best shows I've ever seen at a theme park, for sure. What were you gonna say, Dan? I was just it, agreeing. It was the it's the best show that Disney Parks puts on, in my opinion. I remember waiting the first time uh, as a matter of fact, this would probably be, uh, no, no, no. It was before that when my wife and I went down to Disney, um, it might've even been before we were married, but we, we had to wait. There was a wait for Fantasmic cause it, we, it had been years since I had been to a Disney park and I'd kind of forgotten how, you know, how to time things out and how to wait for lines and how to, how to deal with anything. So we ended up waiting a, a good bit for Fantasmic and it was cold outside, uh, cause it was February. That used to be our time to go. And it was actually chilly out, but we waited and waited and waited. Uh, we didn't have great seats, but then the show started. We were like way to the left, uh, but the show started and it didn't matter. I, I was just absolutely blown away uh, by, by it. I, I've still to this day, it's like you said, Ryan, it's, it's one of the best things I've ever seen in a theme park. It's one of the best live experiences I've had. Um, what What other kind of stuff down there like what mickey oriented stuff stands out to you guys about the theme parks uh what about you sean uh i have to walk by and take a photo of the partner statue every time i go to walt disney world yeah yeah. Um, and and we know i go a lot like i've i've done six times in a year because i'm an idiot really i hadn't uh, heard yeah i know you've never (laughs) uh you, you think, uh, you know, I try to find a way to make money off of that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I go a ton and I have to walk by and whenever I, um, get over being so needle phobic, that's uh, that's a tattoo that I want to get done is, um, the partner statue yeah. probably on my leg, uh, somewhere meaty where I'm not likely to pass out. Oh um, dude, I, <laughs> I, f- I find bone to be much easier to deal with than meat. Oh really? Oh yeah. I'm screwed. Um, <laughs> Glad my girlfriend's a tattoo artist, so I can just be like, "Honey, be gentle." Oh, she can uh, hold your hand while she gives you the tattoo. She's done that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, but yeah, the partner statue is is huge um, because again, I mean, it's that that quote that you said that it always started with a mouse, which is amusingly not one hundred percent accurate, as we all know. It technically started with a rabbit that he lost, and then became well, a yeah, yeah, but, but you know. But but I'll I'll take the red con. Os, uh, Oswald lit the fire, but Mickey carried the flame. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put that. I'm um, a fucking genius. Yeah, that's why it's your show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, so every time I go, um, I gotta have a Mickey pop 
uh, I got to eat a Mickey waffle and um, I got to walk by the partner statue. And if I don't do all three of those things, it doesn't feel like a trip to Disney. Uh, you know, you bring up the, the Mickey food. What is it? And then, sure, the Mickey waffle is great. It's great. Whatever. What? Why is the Mickey ice cream so good? I have no idea. And I bought the not like I, you know, Nestle makes or for a while, at least they made the Mickey pops that uh, you can just buy at the grocery no, store. No, it's not the same. Not not as good. No, there's something about that pop at the Mickey pop at Disney World is completely different. I don't know why. All right. First of all, stop calling it a pop. It's an ice cream bar. <laughs> it's Mickey pop when you order it. It's that that's that is one of the worst sins Disney has ever committed. <laughs> is calling that thing a pop because it is neither soda nor a popsicle. <laughs> right. I'm just reading from the menu, man. It says Mickey Pop. <laughs> uh, so that's what I order. And then they hand me a chocolate covered Mickey head that's delicious. It's so uh, good there. And yeah, the yeah. the home experience is not the same. It's like it's like watching Win Loser Draw and then buying the home version and you're like, This is not the same. Yeah, you're like, This sucks. Uh Dan, what about you? I know you've had plenty of experiences in the parks. What what is a What's a Mickey-related thing that that every single time you're just like, this is amazing? Well, um, up until recently, it was Magic Mickey in the Magic Kingdom. Um, When you first go in the gates there, before you even hit Main Street, uh, there to the right in the theater with Tinkerbell is the Mickey meet-and-greet. And he is still there in the same costume. But they took away the effect of him talking, and that, to me, was one of the damnedest things I had ever seen in my life, because they had, uh, I guess, this RFID, like, remote control technology, and they had, I guess, somebody behind a two-way mirror uh, activating the voice controls. So Mickey would talk to you. You could sit there and have a conversation with him and it would blow your fucking mind. And they announced, I guess at the beginning of this year that they were dropping it due to cost cutting measures. And I just thought, man, of all, of all the slimy ways to save a buck. Well, there's a lot of that going on right now from what I understand. And that, that uh, maybe we'll do an actual theme park episode at one point, but with all the expansions going on, and then Sean, I'm sure you can verify some of this. They're cutting a lot of costs right now. Yeah, there's a lot of weird cost-cutting measures that are happening kind of all over the place. Some of them you can look at, and they seem to make perfect sense. Other things you're kind of wondering. Um, they also they spent a so they, they, a lot of money on uh, um, Galaxy's Edge, but uh, in Walt Disney World, they dropped a ton of money to implement Magic Bands. Um, I think it was like a, a multi-million, possibly billion-dollar endeavor. So it's not surprising that they're cutting some corners in some places. And Bob Iger is apparently notorious for for doing that kind of thing, cutting back staff during slow periods and all that stuff. So they're, they're doing a lot to mess with the economics right now. So I was bummed to see that goes well because it was awesome. And, and uh, one of the trips that we were down last year, we got to do it. I hate that we can't do it anymore. I'm hoping it comes back down the line. Well, and that's the I thing. Hope so. I, I think. Disney is while while they can be vicious with some of their cost cutting when they're trying to do expansions, I do think the eventual big picture always ends up for the best. So that even if somehow that doesn't come back, I think they'll find a a, a new thing that will be just as satisfying, maybe in a different way. Like uh, they're really at no point. 
is anybody going to go to Walt Disney World and be like, well, we shouldn't even have come here? <laughs> Why are we even here? I mean, right. I've seen kids having meltdowns, and I'm wondering if those parents are thinking that. Like, this is the worst idea. Well, ever. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but 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 it's never because of the park, though. Right, yeah, yeah. No, no Mickey didn't make that happen. Uh, Derek, have you, have you had the opportunity to, to have experiences in the Disney parks? Um, yeah, yeah, I've been to the park several times. Uh, and uh, I'm sad to say that something specifically Mickey related is not really high on my memories list. I tend to equate the parks more with uh, my my love for 80s Epcot, for example, or uh, the oh, Haunted yeah. Mansion. Uh, but uh, now they are building a ride, a Mickey's uh, Runaway Railway, in the, the studio park that I'm looking forward to. So... We'll see how that turns out. Oh, I don't know anything but, about that. What's going on there? Yeah, it's uh, actually the first ride devoted to Mickey Mouse, believe it or not. And it's hard to believe, but when you think about it, there hasn't been an actual ride about him. Uh, but this is going to be based on the current shorts. And they're billing it as 2.5D. I'm not sure how that's going to work <laughs> exactly. But... You're supposed to be able to step inside a cartoon, and uh, it, it should be interesting. I think they're building it in part to kind of help with the uh, crowd flow into Galaxy's Edge, but um, I, Galaxy's Edge is going to keep that park so slammed, I'm not going to be able to experience any of those rides until about 10 years, I'm sure. Oh, so. seriously, I mean, all the parks are going to be bonkers starting, what, a couple years from now, or I guess end of next year? Yeah, yeah, 2019 is when I think both of the both uh, Mickey's uh, Runaway Railway and uh, Galaxy's Edge opens. So yeah. yeah, I think they said December, which means it'll be December 30th. Right, right. <laughs> because they they push all of their deadlines to the very end. Ryan, what about you? Are there any Mickey specific things in the parks that you you absolutely love? Um, yeah, I usually tend to go around Halloween and, uh, yeah, I always like to go, uh, like, like, uh, Dan was talking about going to meet Mickey, like right when you walk into the park, uh, and I, you know, you go into like his office area and the magic area. And, uh, I like to see like, you know, him wearing his Halloween costume and like actually getting to meet him. It sucks that he doesn't talk anymore, but like, it's cool seeing the Disney characters in their, their like Halloween costumes and stuff. I just say it's kind of a neat way to, to see the characters. So that's usually like, I got to meet Mickey mouse. Um, I got to take a picture of the partner statue. Like Sean said, I mean, that's just like, I, I, I get like a tear in my eye every time. Um, every time I see that statue and also the, uh, there's like a show that they do. I can't remember the name of it, but there's a show they do at Hollywood Studios. That's kind of like a history of of Walt Disney, and uh, it ends one with the queen. Yeah, so, one man's so, dream. And sorry, I'm an man, asshole. <laughs> no, 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 no. I I was I was reaching for it, but yeah, one man's dream is fantastic. And just hearing the struggles he went through and like how he still persevered and how he created this character and how it just became a sensation in just everyone's lives. <clears throat> that I mean, uh, that's probably like that's something I don't usually go to a lot of shows, but uh, I mean that's one that I always like to hit, and Fantasmic's one that I always hit too. But I'm really picky about shows. I I'll do a show once and be like, okay, I'm good for the rest of my life. I, you know, it's funny you say that because I'm not real big on like just sitting inside 
when I'm at a theme park. But uh, like we've already covered, Fantasmic is great. I really loved Philhar Magic, and I I don't see it every time we go, uh, but I've I've seen it several times, and I've it's a really good what 4D or whatever it is experience. Uh, have you guys seen it? It's so much fun, man. I I love that. That's one that I always try to hit. Used to when they did the fast passes. You would put in for a fast pass for some other ride, like Haunted Mansion or something, and then it would shoot out a fast pass for Philhar Magic just because they wanted the seats to be full. So they'd be like, "Hey, while you're waiting, go see Philhar Ma- Magic." Yeah, so like yeah, I would, yeah. I would always go see it like every single time I went. And uh, yeah, I love it because it's got all the classic songs that I love from the, you know the movies that I, that I grew up with. So uh, yeah, I enjoy it, and it's just cool seeing Mickey and like Simba and like all these characters kind of like interacting together. It's really neat. Well, and Mickey as the hapless conductor is another kind of classic image of him. Absolutely. Hey, do, do any of y'all remember the audio animatronic Mickey uh, orchestra show? What was that called? Oh, man, I don't know. I don't remember that one. Yeah, me either. It was, uh, it, it was, I think it's where PhilharMagic is now. And there was, but it was audio animatronics uh, of Mickey and the crew. And in fact, uh, the uh, three caballeros that they have in uh, the Mexico pavilion at Epcot now, that those actually came from this show. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And see, now that you're saying that, I wonder if one of those early trips, I might have seen that because that's ringing a bell especially mentioning the three caballeros because I, I I love that that feature man I don't know I, I my hope right now as I'm talking is that Sean is googling trying to look it up and see what this is uh, I'm not finding anything yet but give me time <laughs> then we'll keep going uh, you guys Mickey is always present in the parks. Uh, one of the greatest things, and we've talked about it a couple times already, are Mickey's actually walking around for the photo opportunities and whatever else. Do you have a favorite Mickey costume variation? Uh, mine, just because of the the experience that we had with Phantom Jr. back in the day, uh, Safari Mickey, I think, is my favorite of his costume variations, but there there are tons of them. Uh, Dan, do you have a, a personal favorite? Yeah, I, my favorite is the the wizard Mickey that that has been previously mentioned so many times from Fantasia. They have him at Hollywood Studios for a, a meet and greet and a dual meet and greet with Minnie, where you stop in and get both of them, and um, that's one we have to do pretty much every time. Uh, that's I, I think his coolest outfit, but I did love this year in particular's Halloween costume where he was dressed as Dracula with candy corn fangs. That was some fucking Disney wholesomeness at its peak. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's tremendous. Uh, Ryan, what about you? Do you have a favorite uh, Mickey variant? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely him in his Halloween costume. Like, that's always just awesome. I mean, it's just adorable to me that Mickey Mouse dresses up for Halloween. I just think it's awesome. And, uh, and it like, like Dan was saying, it's like the wholesomeness of it. Uh, like I go, you know, like I always try to go to Halloween Horror Nights and then do Disney's like the next day. And it's like so different, but it's so 
cool because it's like here's this extreme bloody gore fest and then here's like mickey mouse with candy corn fangs and it's like awesome and cute you know so uh yeah i I like both aspects of it and yeah i definitely say halloween before we get back to sean and his research derek what's your favorite uh mickey costume i'm gonna say the sorcerer's apprentice also it's just so iconic and Besides that, it has that fantasy angle that I like so much. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and I mean that is if you what does Mickey look like? People are going to give the standard description, but that Sorcerer's Apprentice. I mean that's that's going to be one of the next things they say for sure. Sean, what has your uh, research uncovered, and what is your favorite variation? Uh, so my favorite variation is the Sorcerer, which we have covered already. So that's good. Um, I don't need to go into that. Uh, so, yeah, I found the Mickey Mouse Review uh, was an a- indoor audio animatro- animatronic stage show, to reading from Wikipedia, that was in uh, Fantasyland at Magic Kingdom and Tokyo Disneyland. Uh, it was in Fantasyland from se- 1971 to 1980, so I was five when it closed. Uh, and then it's in Tokyo Disneyland since 1983 and apparently is still there. So it's another reason for me to go to Tokyo Disneyland because it sounds awesome. But yeah, they um, Mickey would come out in his stage conductor and uh, apparently have a whole bunch of animatronics that would uh, play music. Well, that means I definitely did not see that. But uh, yeah, no, because we were four. Right? Yeah, I didn't. <laughs> I, I don't think I got down there until I was maybe nine or ten. Uh, I may have been down there with that young, but hell, if I remember anything from that, and I doubt I see either my parents sitting through a. a musical performance right right no my well now see if i'd been down there my parent well my mom my mom would have insisted because she she was very much a any kind of performance whether it's dancing music like every time we went to six flags we went to the crystal pistol and watched whatever was happening it did not matter like my mom (laughs) was she was all in on that stuff so we would have seen it but i i definitely wasn't down there until years later uh all right well We've got one more critical aspect of the theme parks to cover before we move on. Uh, and, and again, this is something that you guys might have a little more experience with than I do because I've never put a whole lot of effort into it, but that is the Hidden Mickeys. What can you guys tell me? Uh, and we'll, we'll start with Dan. What can you tell me about the Hidden Mickeys? Dude, hidden Mickey's are life. Uh, once you start <laughs> looking for hidden Mickey's, you will be like Hunter S. Thompson. You'll be seeing those fuckers in everything. And it's a game my wife and I play to this day. I'm like, oh, hidden Mickey, like around the house, like a fucking hair tie fell in the shape of Mickey. And I'm like, oh, look, hidden Mickey. <laughs> so, so what's behind the hidden Mickey's is there are the the Mickey Mouse head, which was very intentionally designed. Like initially Mickey's ears would do different things. Like Dan talked about earlier with his, uh, unfortunate melted Mickey, but within the cartoons, Mickey's ears would actually move and stuff. But later on, uh, they decided that Mickey's ears would be those circles, regardless of where he was facing, whatever it was, because they wanted that shape to be universally recognizable. And the three circle, Mickey head design is hidden in architecture in every everywhere. 
throughout the Disney theme parks to the point where they're like books and stuff, right? Yeah, there, there, there's a guy that has written a book on every hidden Mickey, and I actually toyed around, and this may still be something I do, uh, with writing an app that when you that would do geotargeting of hidden Mickeys, that when you walk near one, it would send you an alert to look for the hidden Mickey. Um, the tricky part being, though, that Hollywood Studios is one giant hidden, or used to be at least one giant hidden Mickey, so I don't know how you would set that one. Like, you just walk around the whole park with a notification for hidden Mickeys. Yeah, that would um, have to get really, really, like, super specific granular. to, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there's that. that's one of the eight million reasons why I haven't written that app yet. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there are entire books that are published that will help you spot them as you go different places. And then like that one, there's no way you're going to see the, the Hollywood studios one unless you're in a helicopter. So they have uh, photos for that stuff. But it, and as I understand it, they're all completely intentional too. There's no such thing as sort of an accidental hidden Mickey. They're all by design. Derek, have you ever, uh, gotten into the, the hidden Mickey craze? Not in depth. I sometimes look for them, uh, when I'm standing in line and stuff like that, but it's not something that I've ever gone on a scavenger hunt for. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at with it. Like as we're walking around, if I think about it, I'll kind of like, you know, check out the area just to see if I see anything, but I've, I've never gotten deep into it. Ryan, what about you? Yeah, I'm the same way. Like I, I, I don't get to <clears throat> go for many days. Usually I'm down there for a couple of days. So like, I'm just trying to get in rides and try to like do stuff like, so uh, I don't really look for them that often. Now, if I come across one, I'm like, Oh, that's neat. And hidden Mickey, but like, it's not like a, a passion of mine. And usually I'm like, so focused on like, you know, Oh, Haunted Mansion's over here. We got to sprint over here quick. Like, uh, I'm <laughs> yeah. This, this is, this is what I want now. I want, uh, Sean and Ryan. Next time you guys go down there, I need a picture of Ryan cadaver in full Sherlock Holmes gear with a magnifying glass looking for hidden Mickeys. <laughs> that shouldn't be hard. I need this in my life. Uh, all right, so we, we've covered animation. We've covered theme parks. We've covered our earliest memories of Mickeys. Uh, is there any other stuff that you guys wanted to bring up uh, when, when, we, you know, when I said, hey, let's do a Mickey episode, let's talk about uh, what's going on with him, it's his birthday. Were there any things that sort of sprang to mind that you guys want to cover before we wrap this thing up? Uh, Derek, let's start with you. No, I think we've pretty much covered it. Um, I'm sad to say more of a Disney fan in general, specific, uh, more uh, specifically the theme parks than Mickey, but he certainly has... Uh, been a constant in my entire life so ryan any any mickey stuff that that you want to get off your chest and share with the room uh no i mean i just think that he's an important cultural icon that you know i don't see going away ever and i think it's just gonna you know be a part of people's lives forever and i you know i mean he always makes me happy i mean every time i see mickey mouse on anything i'm like happy like i'm like oh it's uh, indiana jones you know or mickey mouse indiana jones that's cool or or a star wars character but it's mickey mouse i love it like it just makes me happy i'm, I'm so. actually glad you brought up indiana jones because that's one of my pri one of the prizes of my toy collection is that mickey's indiana jones figure uh, that they did in the yeah, park. yeah yeah i absolutely love it uh, Dan, what about you? Any final Mickey thoughts? Uh, just that it's hard to believe that that character has been around for 90 years and that an entire 
empire that has its own like government and police force <laughs> was created on the back of the idea of that one little character and not just the fact that all of that was built on it but that the character itself endures for that length of time and still manages to to touch people and uh like was said earlier that you know you see mickey and it just automatically makes you happy and i think in this day and age that's a hell of an accomplishment uh yeah absolutely uh anything that is sort of a universal symbol of joy is something to be recognized and appreciated uh uh, certainly now uh sean no pressure but you got to take us home buddy oh shit uh <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of no Phantom no no <laughs> um so actually the uh the biggest mickey thing that uh that got its claws into me uh teeth ears i don't know um one of those uh, is the Vinylmations. And I'm actually a little bummed because they don't make them as much anymore. Uh, I don't know if they're being phased out or not, but they are these little vinyl figures. They're, you know, maybe a couple inches tall at best that are just Mickey Mouse shapes. And if you find the early, early ones, you can actually see Mickey had more of a nose. And the later ones is just sort of a rounded off face. But it is the Mickey shape, kind of like a Dunny uh, or any of the other vinyl, the Kid Robot vinyls that you see. And it's using that as a canvas. And... They've done various different series where they have painted, you know, characters from the parks. So I've got a whole series that is based on Pirates of the Caribbean. And so using Mickey's ears and they're painting kind of the, the, the sky background that you see uh, around the character's head. I've got uh, a few Spider-Man ones. I've got an entire line of the Star Wars figures. I'm, I'm looking at a Luke right now and Mickey's ears are painted to look like outer space with Luke's face on uh, Mickey's head. Um, and then they actually did a line of the Disney characters as Star Wars. So I've got an X-Wing Mickey uh, in the Vinyl Nation shape. And obviously he lends himself well to that with the uh, X-Wing helmet over his ears. So that's probably my biggest Mickey thing that I have. And I mean, and if you've seen my house, I've got them all over the place. I actually bought uh, baseball bat display cases and have them completely full from one end to another. And they're, you know, they're maybe half an inch wide and two inches tall, filling up an entire baseball bat case. I remember when we first uh, sort of met and started hanging out, that was one of the first things. I, and this is this is some serious toy geek shit right here. <laughs> one of the first things I truly admired about you, and at this point there are many, but uh, in our time in the theme park, me and the missus had seen the Vinylmation stuff and were like, we can't get into that. That is like dedication it's, right there. It's crack. It is right. absolute crack. And we've, we've got like a couple. But uh, when you, you when you said, oh, yeah, I collect those, and I, I think we were kind of like, oh, yeah, we've got a few of them. And you're like, no, no, I collect those. <laughs> and then to discover, like, the, your, your tenacity for building that collection, I was like, holy shit, this guy is, is the real deal. Yeah, I was tempted during when we were down there for uh, um, Last Jedi to just buy the entire box. Because they're blind box, never know what you're going to get. Yeah, and yeah. Like, so there's a whole box, and I was like, "How much is that?" And they were like, 300 bucks." And I was like, "I might just buy the whole box." I didn't, but I really thought about it, and uh, part of me wishes I did because I ended up with uh, uh, a bunch of doubles, and I was like, well, "Son of a bitch!" Yeah, well, a lot I, of time with that blind box stuff, it, it is. There have been a couple of times with blind boxes where I have just bought a case because you can sell off what you don't need, and you at least get you know a set. But anyway, yeah. 
Blind box toys will be a whole other episode of the Needless Things podcast. For now, we've got to let everybody sign off and let us know where you are online, what you're up to. Uh, Sean, we'll start with you. Which you? Uh, what was that? What you? am I singing a ghost song? Yes. Uh, be with you in the moonlight. Uh, so, yeah, right now, the number one place you can find me online is uh, themeparkalchemy.com. So, um, kind of like I alluded to before, I'm trying to find a way to make money off of going to Disney all the time. So, uh, right now, all of our scents are based on Universal properties, but uh, we have a new scent that we'll be launching soon that is our first Disney scent that'll be just in time for the holidays. And we'll have some candles based on Disney rides uh, in the pipeline right after the first of the year as well. So go to themeparkalchemy.com and um, check that out. And I'm most, I spend more time on that Instagram than I even do on my own Instagram, uh, which leads to interesting likes and comments every now and then. Uh, so, yeah, so that's where you can find me mostly online right now. Man, you're, you're gonna ha- are you going to have to take a class on how to work your way around Disney's litigiousness when you're promoting Disney inspired things. Uh, yeah, no, what, he already done it. Say, what he forgot to say was inspired by. Yeah, right. Inspired right. by. Yeah, yeah. Inspired by is the important thing. And there's a uh, the footer on the website shows that uh, states clearly that we are not affiliated in any way <laughs> with the Walt Disney Company. Uh, <laughs> I used to work on an app called Mouse Dining that is for travel agents that go to that uh, book dinner reservations at uh, at Disney, and uh, we learned a lot about how to navigate those legal waters solid very nice uh ryan cadaver what are you up to where can we find you online uh i'm in a band called the casket creatures i am also uh in business with sean and uh theme park alchemy has since that are inspired by theme <laughs> <laughs> um not based on inspired true, but yeah, yeah. not based on uh, inspired yeah. Exactly. So, uh, no, but we got some cool stuff. It's all original artwork. It's all handcrafted. It's all like just supporting real people making really cool stuff. Uh, so highly suggested Bob Gurr thinks we're awesome. So that's pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, I mean, aside from that, we don't really have any shows going on. So, uh, pass it on. Oh, and you know what? You guys need to get me a spot for theme park alchemy. Yeah, we do. That I asked for like three months ago. Well, we will do that. Man, tomorrow. we've been making candles. We don't have time for recording spots. You got to promote your stuff, man. And and granted, ah. uh, your candles are amazing because I'll, I'll say right now, I'll endorse right now the uh, the the bloody waters shark bait. shark bait. Thank you. The shark bait candle will successfully cover up the overwhelming smell of dog diarrhea. <laughs> That's my Wait. endorsement. Yeah, we those, uh, we're we're trying to figure out a way to market the fact that uh, <laughs> those candles will cancel out poo smell. Yeah, but I have one hundred percent sign. Like I am, like I will not have the word poo on our website at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's not happening. I'm not cool. All right, Derek Tatum, uh, you're you're in a bit of a, a rest mode right now, but things are getting ready to get busy for you uh, pretty soon, I would imagine. What are you up to? And where can we find you online? Well, my uh, main website is the, uh, it hasn't been updated in a long time, classic, dreadpunk.com, which I really need to get back on. Uh, If you're interested in my Dragon Con stuff, the best way to find it is just look up Dragon Con Horror Track on uh, Facebook or uh, Twitter, so... You know what inspires creativity in me, Derek Tatum? 
a banana breath candle from themeparkalchemy.com. Okay. Check is in the mail. <laughs> I agree. I endorse that statement. <laughs> and finally, uh, Dan Wilson, where can we find you online? What have you been up to? Well, online, I'm going to head over to themeparkalchemy.com and take a look at those candles. <laughs> <laughs> but as I far like as what I do. <laughs> as far as what I'm doing right now, um, I actually just retired from professional wrestling after almost 20 years, so that was pretty crazy. Um, glad to be done with it. It was a wonderful journey, but, uh, you know, moving on to some new adventures in my life. And uh, where you can find me now is through those. I'm making just uh, lots of DIY horror content uh, with my production company, One Good Scare Productions. Uh, we are on Facebook under that name, as well as our website, ogscareproductions.com. Our first short film dropped on Halloween. It's called Sanctuary. And uh, just really loving the creative frame of that and learning like a whole new side of the entertainment business and uh, meeting a lot of cool people. And, yeah, it's it's a really awesome new chapter. And I definitely want to have you back on the show sooner than later to talk about filmmaking and, and, and what you're learning at this stage. I would love to. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome. Well, you guys, thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about Mickey Mouse and to celebrate 90 years of this incomparable uh, animated character that, that has been brought to life in so many different ways. Thank you, you guys. Thank you. Thanks for, you. Thanks for having me. And that... Is all we got for you today. Thank you for listening in, Phantom Maniacs. I truly appreciate each and every one of you, uh, especially if you share the episode on the social media. Tell all your friends about the Needless Things Podcast, and of course, about NeedlessThingsPodcast.com, which is currently in its fifth week of transferring from Blogger to WordPress. I'm sure someday. The last 10 years of Needless Things content will become available on the new site. Uh, Until then, we will have fresh stuff for you uh, most days of the week. I can't say every day of the week, but most days of the week. Toy reviews, movie reviews, uh, lots of movie reviews, movie and TV stuff lately I've I've enjoyed writing about again. Uh, And even toy reviews. I'm looking at some new stuff right now that's going to go up before the end of the year. Uh, Next week is Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to everyone. I hope you have the opportunity to eat lots of food with people that you enjoy being around. Uh, I don't, I'm working on Thanksgiving Day, uh, but fortunately I have the weekend off. So uh, Black Friday, record store day coming up. Uh, I'm going to go out. I'm going to take Phantom Jr. to the record store and we're going to check out the Black Friday record store day releases and uh, maybe do a little more running around. And also I want to mention next week is November's Needless Commentary. You can go to the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group and vote on what you want us to watch. Right now, RoboCop and Superman 1, as our pal Red Ranger would say, are neck and neck, literally one vote apart. And you've got through this Sunday to vote. So go to the Needless Things Podcast Facebook group, join up. Please do answer the questions and uh, vote. Let us know what you want us to watch, and we will watch it for Needless Things uh, newest commentary. Thank you. I love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Needless Things podcast. You're the best. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Downcast, or in the ears of a Trader Vicks employee. Love you. Mean it. Uh Uh-huh.